Remember that um, as we began this series, the undercurrent issue was how to have a sound theology. Not just a foggy idea. Uh, for example, in Matthew 9, 23 to 25, it's quite well known. But after all, this is uh, the beginning of uh, our spiritual journey. When Jesus said, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Not just at the conversion only, but deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit for a, a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So we all know we are to deny ourselves, not just becoming a Christian, but every day. And a quick review before we actually get into how to practice self-denial in our everyday life. Let's think about why and what and how. Why is self-denial is what Jesus required for all true followers of Christ. In other words, it's not just a some kind of a, a style or fashionable way of following Jesus Christ. It is a matter of life or death. Self-delusion could be, one could say, I'm a Christian, but if deny, he, he or she doesn't deny himself or herself, according to Jesus, they cannot follow Christ, which means they are not really saved. It's a stern warning. How about what is, what is it? The self-denial is not renunciation of one's personhood. In other words, God created us originally before the fall. It was good, very good. But because of original sin, once again, not the act of Adam, sinful act of Adam, but the consequence of that sin, which is a corruption of human nature, is a totally unable, you know, unable to do God's will. The pervasive deprav depravity has come into our human nature. And the central aspect about that is the self-centeredness. So it's not in renunciation, not of one's personhood, which is creative self. I'm sorry about that. Created uh, self. But one's self-centeredness is the fallen self. So a fallen self is a natural self. Unless we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And then for two Sundays, we, we looked at 
the first step of paradoxical first step of self-denial is actually self-acceptance. Why so? Because God's sovereign plan of saving us before he, even the universe existed, God has sovereign purpose and plan for us. Not only he foreknew that we will choose in our free will to fall, but he had a sovereign purpose for his glory by redeeming us. So in, in one sense, remember the Facebook post that I mentioned, both are really true, that we are good in God's eyes. Everything about God has seen in us was good, but and yet it's distorted now. We are also sinner, desperate sinner without, uh, without God, without Christ. The purpose of going to church is not just getting inspirational uh, messages with the insurance that when I die, I will go to heaven. No, purpose of going to church and getting involved in spiritual community is being in the center of God's sovereign plan of redemption that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be, through him, also become sons of God who are like him. That's number one. Today, how then can we practice self-denial daily? As we're going into that, let me be upfront about two things, two essential things we need to practice self-denial. The first thing we need is new power. It's one of those things that um, if you experienced it yourself and if you ever tried to live a Christian life according to Christ, well, you have experienced it. Once, once, uh, for example, do you remember the time that you said, oh, I, I was just arrogant in that meeting? And you tell your men's group or woman's group, you know, I'm going to be Humble. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be humble. Just to telling yourself, yeah, you are sincere at that moment. But it's not enough. Your thoughts, you are actually under the power of sin. Sin is not just these that you did. Sin is a power that resides in your natural self. Sinful nature because of original sin. St. Augustine, in his famous book, The Confession, before he really had a truly uh, biblical conversion, his mother was praying for him. And he knew that he needed to stop living recklessly. So he, one of his vices, I think the vice for him, was sexual pleasures, lust. So sleeping around in our modern language. He knew that he needed to be pure, sexually pure. So in his confession, he, he makes that confession. He used to pray, Lord, make me pure. 
but not yet. Isn't that so, so true in our experiences as well? God, I'm going to be so humble and gentle to my wife. But after this argument, I have to prove who's the man in the house. Oh Lord, I, I'm not going to be self-absorbed anymore. Kind of, the, the whole world doesn't revolve around me. So make me God-centered. Put me in not a useful God concept, but sovereign God who calls me. I like that. But after this week, In other words, just because you are convinced to follow Christ and deny yourself is a good thing to do, you don't have a power in you. So you need outside power. What does it look like? Uh, Reiterating what I just said, think about this. Sin is self-centeredness, essentially. So which means that people can actually do a very moral, ethical thing, things and even lead that, rally the ethical movement or very noble causes. And very devout Christian. But if you are still in the center of all that, it's actually... Is ultimately the whole world at the at the at the center of the whole world. You are the center, and God has to cooperate. Okay, let me let me explain what I mean by this. If you're the center, thought line goes like this. Um, this will be difficult to journey through. But I, I think I need to endure that. Maybe God will come around this time. He will cooperate with my plan. We dare not say that. But what if it doesn't go wrong? Or what if, what if I, I get cancer and die? And the whole thing becomes nothing. That is a typical, natural way of thinking. God-centeredness looks like this. Whether I physically get sick or die or not, whether something terribly happens to me or my immediate family, loved ones or not, sovereign God is in the center of the universe. The whole universe is supported and sustained by His good will. And I belong to that. So no matter what happens to me, physically, temporally, I am in the eternal sovereign hand of God. And that He is good, I believe. That He is capable, almighty God. I delight in that. By the way, this secret is what my brother's secret to be happy with his speech impediment that he can, as a former pastor who can't even say one full sentence quickly enough, that he still has to eat with the left hand. 
He's not faking the joy. He, there is a sense of shalom whenever I visit. So it's not some saint in several centuries ago who lived, but even not right now. Those who follow Christ and deny himself or herself, and that Christ is the center, Holy Spirit gives them joy and peace and love. But natural person, just because you have a noble idea, doesn't have a power to overcome. So Romans 6 says that we are under the slave, slavement of unrighteousness. That we, what we need is not improvement of self, but brokenness of our self-centeredness. This, one, this is where self-help books or seminars and just awesome, inspiring, great self-motivational speakers come short. It is not improving ourselves. It is as if taking your stone in your backyard and rubbing it thousands times a day, hoping that it will turn out to be a diamond. Or your broken car, the engine is died. And then you're cleaning the engine. And then you're just putting oil on the engine. And taking the whole car, towing the car to wash the car. Does that make the car alive? Can you go anywhere? See, the stiff-necked eye, the pride self, is that I could do it without God. Autonomy, self-ruled life, is the nature of sin nature of a typical person who is apart from God. But what is so sad now, because of the evil one's lies and because of the cultural invasion very subtle, like permeating into the Christian culture, as if that we just need an inspirational talk on Sundays and go home. Just tell yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. Be positive. Give thanks for the things that you have, which is all good. But without Christ, we have no hope. Romans 7, verse 16 to 20. Apostle Paul describes his inner, inner struggle. It actually reveals the power of sin within him. And that power of sin is within us. Verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Notice that he calls it singular, the power, the nature of sin. Verse 18, For I know that nothing good, in, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. 
For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to, do, ability to carry it out. For I do not do good, the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. But St. Paul, in Romans 6, tells us what happens when we become regenerated, born of the Spirit. Six, Romans 6, 6 and 7, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Why? Because the penalty of sin is death. So that has been paid. Remember that, uh, some of you probably remember the Double Jeopardy movie? So she actually paid that for that sentence so now, actually, uh, I think how, how it goes, maybe she literally kills that husband because she was in jail because of murder. Yeah? Am I right? <laughs> it was a fascinating movie, but there's a, a lot of spiritual, spiritual implication in that. You cannot be punished by the law for the same thing twice. Right? <laughs> because of the baptism, baptism is what? Union with Christ. Become oneness with Christ. What he has done becomes ours. His death and crucifixion is ours. His paying the de- penalty of death is ours. His resurrection is also ours. His life in eternity with the Father is ours as well. That's grace. Okay, let's go one step further. When we are saved, that is, born of the Spirit, not born physically, that, that's the typical term, John 3 term, was a born again. Born again doesn't mean culturally it twisted in a way that the person radically changed, cleaned up outside a little bit. No, no. Born of the Spirit means, born again means born of the Spirit. We receive this new power that breaks the power of sin within us. This is a very important part. So sound theology helps us to have a good perspective, even though our feelings and experience might point to the other way. In this sense, every true believer is a new creation, and our heart given by the Holy Spirit, a new heart, is now the default mode of a regenerated person in Christ. Whoa! We still have the old self, the sin nature, original sin, but God has given us Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit has given us new heart and new spirit, which is our default mode. In other words, 
The one clear difference of a truly regenerated person, you cannot be self-centered and not feel any kind of conviction of the Holy Spirit, even if you become calloused, even if you become hardened in your own sin. Yes, you could feel less and less, but eventually, under the hand of heavy hand of God, you will repent. If you don't have any kind of conviction whatsoever, you feel so free and you're increasingly more selfish and self-arrogant and self-centered, and this is my way of doing it. This is my Christianity. I think the loving thing for me to do, to do is Scripture tells otherwise. You have all the reasons to doubt about your salvation. So the indwelling Holy Spirit gives us the new power, overcomes the power of sin. The problem is our old self is still in us. Until we get to heaven, until we get to see Jesus face to face, we are truly struggling and being saved from the power of sin and becoming more sanctified day by day. And they, the, the day that he will complete the work and he will complete the work of sanctification of our individual lives, that we will be like Christ, like his son. That is the glorification. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. This wasn't a random act of God. This was a sovereign plan and purpose. And he actually prophesied through prophet Ezekiel about what new covenant will look like. In other words, the old covenant in the Old Testament days and the new covenant in our days, the distinctive difference is right here. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put you, put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of, give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Do you know the reality of your Christian life? You have a new spirit. You have a new identity. And you have a new power within you. The problem is, we still, our old self can be alive and act like he's the new, I mean, he's the true self. And this New thing, ah, too good to be true. Don't believe that. Because that's false self. No, actually, this is what Scripture says. If you are really regenerated, true self, the one that who desires to follow Christ, the one that who wants to humble himself or herself, is true self. The false self in, within us is continually become alive. Second Corinthians five seventeen. This is a declaration of our position, not condition. Position meaning 
that legally you are this identity. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are adopted by the king, the day that he put his ring on your finger, you become a princess. You become a prince of that kingdom. And declaration has been done legally. But conditionally, we might, you and I might still like act like an orphan. And going to the banquet every night, we might still put a drumstick in our pocket just in case. <laughs> you know, when I get to my home, my room, and maybe just in case it, all these things will stop. So every day we become more like prince and more like princess. But legally, positionally, we are already sons of God whom, with whom God is well pleased. You know what this means? The Christian life is not a natural life. Christian life is a supernatural life. Because one cannot live natural life to be able to come out as a victorious person, to be able to deny himself or herself, to be able to experience the abundant life and, and love, joy, and peace of the Holy Spirit. And this is why, you know, that some of the classics were so powerful. And I know our generation is not a reading generation, but I would just, I, I was just mesmerized by this insight by C.S. Lewis. This is from Le- Mere Christianity. Okay. C.S. Lewis writes, The Christian way is different, harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here or a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the truth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself my own will shall own will shall become yours both harder and easier than what we are all trying to do you have noticed i expect that christ himself sometimes describes the christian way as very hard sometimes very easy he says take up your cross in other words it is like going to be beaten to death in a concentration camp 
Next minute, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden light. He means both. And one can just see why both are true. Why we give our old self in exchange of new self that Holy Spirit gives, gives to us. How have you been living your Christian life? Is self-denial something about, yeah, I think that was my bad, but I'm going to do better next time. I told you I said I'm sorry. Just live it, woman. <laughs> That's way, our way of improving our pride, American way. So let's look at the second thing. Second thing we need for self-denial is training. Well, obviously, I mean spiritual training. Why? It is because spiritual disciplines are means of grace. Grace is free and for the undeserving. But spiritual disciplines are like the pathways, means through which God gives us that grace. Spiritual disciplines are a way of life in which we can train ourselves for godliness. 1 Timothy 4.7 says that. Do not try to live a Christian life. Train yourself for godliness. So self-denial is not something that we wishfully do. Somehow we will be better at it. And more than anything, self-disciplines are pathways through which we can receive Spirit's power to deny self. Has it been difficult for you? Maybe you're trying on your own. It's called a self-effort. It's kind of oxymoron thing. The self-effort is done by the fallen self who doesn't have a power to win over the self-centeredness and that he and she is trying to do denial. So usually going halfway. As I mentioned in 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul writes, train yourself for godliness. For a while, bodily training is of some value. Yeah, running a half marathon makes you healthier, and it's good as a value. But godliness is of value of every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's a kind of strange way of thinking because uh, our modern Christianity is more easily embraces cheap grace and quick fixes. So am I going to be in training to, for self-denial? Yes. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 26 to 27, 
this powerful apostle and writes about himself this way. Verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. And as you know, the King James Version will say, I buffet my body. Not buffet my body. <laughs> and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So this is an important point. Self-denial is not a once-for-all thing to do in our conversion only, but as a, new, as a new believer, but it is also daily practice in following Christ. It is what, actually what it really means is to live by faith. If you don't live by faith, what are you going to live by? Live by feelings. I feel like it, and I don't feel like it. Live by self-effort, self-determined. I, you know, I clinch my, my fist, and I'll do it. Surely you're going to fail on that. Or others' opinions. Pop psychology. Live by faith is, yes, I believe. Remember, you asked me what was really best thing about what is a nugget from from my retreat with a way on her influence retreat past three days, and I'll say this: God taps on my shoulder. You just preached good sermon, and then you're telling everybody to embrace that you are beloved son, beloved daughter, with whom I am well pleased. That's how God sees us. That's the new identity in Christ. We must believe it, embrace it, and start with that affirmation and love, unconditional, in our everyday life as we fight the spiritual battle. Not afterwards. You know what God says? The way you come to the solitude within me is like you're just... A lot of things that you should have, could have, and your health could be better, and I should have done much, much better in my eating habit. All that. Can you start tru- truly believe that I love you? I am proud of you. You haven't done a thing. Jesus hasn't done a thing in that baptism. Not even 40 day. 40 day uh, fasting and being tempted by Satan in the wilderness and desert, not to mention cross, resurrection, not to mention miracles that he performed. Nothing. He was the first thing that he did as a public ministry. And the father says, says you are my beloved son. And to live by faith, I need to believe that. To live by faith, I need to believe that my old self, sinful nature is actually enemy along with the Satan and the world. Do you know that? Your old self is one of three enemies in spiritual battle. What does media 
What celebrities tell you? Go with the flow in your answer is within your heart. With your guts. Believe in yourself. Scripture says, if you do that, you're going to doom to hell because you will be deceived by your own self. Follow the Spirit and follow the desires of prompting of the Spirit. Not your own desire. It's okay to be human. That's a fallen self. So it is, what, what, what does it mean once again? It, it, it is also a way to continually surrender ourselves to say no to our fleshly desire. Okay, let me make this correction here. I mean, clear here. No to fleshly means, there's a two words in the New Testament. Uh, one is soma, which is a regular flesh body. And the other one is sarks. Usually, a connotation is a sinful nature. Fleshly lust kind of thing, right? So th- that's what it means to say no to your desire to be noticed, a desire to be jealous, and desire to be, to be absorbed about all that. Say no to that. That doesn't mean saying no to the creative self, natural way of uh, you. Uh, we are to enjoy food that God has given us, sleep, uh, husband and wife, must celebrate the joy of beauty of sex. All that. But don't take it to extreme and then thinking that I'm going to say no to my fleshly desires, meaning, you know, maybe I should fast twice, uh, twice a day. So you, you work and you're just weak and walking around like this. And people ask you, what's wrong with you? Oh, I'm just, you know, denying myself. Eat, be healthy, be, be joyful. And there it will be a time that we should practice self. I mean, the fasting, purposely. And when you do that, Jesus commands us, do it not to show it. As if no one at work, no one around you, except your wife or husband, will know. Because God is seeing us in that. And lastly, today's passage talks about this. (laughs) Training requires intentional training of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. C.S. Lewis, in that same chapter, I think the chapter probably previous to that, says about every morning he realizes all these warnings and like a wild animal, come out to be the natural self, to be the default mode. And he said, basically, you have to shove it in and declare, in my words, self-denial. How, how wise that is. When you get up, the first thing that you realize is, over the night, in my consciousness, that's what he's saying. My natural self could have taken over. So I need to surrender the center to Christ again. Two passages on this. 
Uh, first one is our scripture reading this morning. Ephesians 4, verse 20 to 24. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, to become more like sons of God. Sanctification. Do you, do you realize the wisdom in this? Okay, self-centered way of denying oneself. And so you're so aware of that and you're focused on that. And I confess. My younger days, I was trying to get rid of any kind of impurity in my life. And some of you guys know the full story, but I won't, I'll give you a very uh, decent version of the story. The young men's you know, naturally, sexually, um, you're healthy, you should have urge, right? But each night, I, I just struggle, God, this time around, I don't want to go back to my old self and stumbling over the lustful ideas whenever I see commercials, not to mention porn or something. So I made a drastic Confession to God in the middle of the night using some of my blood, own blood. Let me just keep it there. Did I fall? Yeah, after six weeks, I couldn't take it. It's like sandcastle. Like, you know, oh, I made it six weeks. Oh. <laughs> and once topples, the top topples down, the whole thing falls off. I'm no use. I, shame. Yeah, I am shamed. I'm impossible. I'm not cut out to be a Christian. Think about this. The new power needs to be continually uh, appropriate in our in ourselves. God has given us that. So, in one hand, we continually put off. The old self. In the other hand, you continually put on the new self. Without one or the other, it's really not the Spirit's way of working in our lives. So, how do you recognize a person who is really self-denying? Freedom. Joy. Sense of confidence. That is humble. Not cocky. Humble confidence. And my, my brother, Luis, I am thankful for you because the freedom comes when there is a final loop of our shame and what, what, our, what we have done and failed, publicly shared, I do not mind because Christ is okay with me. I am not okay, but it is okay because Christ is okay. 
Apostle Peter, who denied three times in front of the servant girl. How do we know that story so well? Because in the early church Sunday gatherings, Lord Day's gathering, he stood up. Brothers, I have denied my Lord Jesus three times. Hear my story. This is what happened. Over and over. Not protecting my own reputation. My privilege. No PR here. Galatians 5, 16 through 18 gives us insight how we could get rid of that uh, awful desire that we are tempted all the time. But I say, Paul, Paul writes, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the flesh, against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I want to end with this very practical applications. Three applications. First one, we are to practice our denial in our heart. I wanted to just say center, but it kind of confuses, right? Heart, I don't mean that the seed of emotion. Heart means the biblical heart, which has more of a spirit. In other words, with the spirit. The center. Who is in the control ship? Who has the keys? Who gets to decide the final decision? Who gives the final answer? C.S. Lewis wisely wrote, the idea is we become aware of our center and guard our heart. Whether self is ruling there or Christ is ruling there. Another way of throwing is we dethrone ourselves from the seat of control and enthrone Lord Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, as the King in our lives. And that happens as a train over and over. Train ourselves, uh, practice brokenness to our self-will, self-glory, self-attitude, hidden motives, values, rationalization, insincerity, and all. And because of this, the, our thought life is, might have, uh, mental process might have a good, noble intention because we don't have a power to overcome. And that's why the spiritual disciplines are necessary. Solitude and silence are com- coming. You really don't have to come. There's no legalism here. But wisdom is we do direct things in order to receive the indirect things that we can never do directly. Some of you struggle with pride. Get with with God. And then God will, by his grace, reveal the things that he sees if you are honest. If you're open, speak to me. You know why? Have you seen anyone who try to admit he's prideful? 
but then it doesn't want to go all the way? That's not really true humility at all. You know how difficult it is to recognize that I am prideful because we're self-centered. Without the Holy Spirit's power, it is almost impossible for us to even realize, recognize how ugly, how devastating that sin of pride in me. When we really see that we will be broken, awed by the, the, the sinfulness of our heart toward God. And therefore, we will repent. And therefore, we will abandon ourselves to God. Why? Because we cannot do it on our own selves. Have you ever thought about this this morning? Have you handed over your ownership, which means all of you, all, including your kids and your, your houses and your belongings, your husband, your wife, to the Holy Spirit? Is there any unreserved, is there reserved things, uh, everything else except? The self-denial begins with that willingness to surrender. That you don't give him special guest room in your house. Lord Jesus, Spirit of God, there's a special room just for you. But you give him entire keys. My house belongs to you. Including closets. You could get into it. Uh, I'm going to hold until I finish this. Second, we are to practice our self-denial in our thought life and speech life. Why? Because even if you didn't express anything, our thoughts are the seeds of our character. So if you have a negative thoughts, if you have a gossipy thoughts, it's going to shape your, your, your character. And the more you do it, the more you become callous about denying yourself. We rationalize. And talk about your friends negatively behind his back or her back. Eh, we could rationalize. Maybe in the name of sharing prayer requests. Maybe in the name of venting. Maybe in the name of what have you. And then why spiritual speech life? James is so right. James 1.26 if anyone thinks he's religious, maybe in our cultural language, he is spiritual and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Why? Because our old self is best revealed in our unguarded speech. I'm going to make another confession. You know, the, my, I, have, I look like this. I'm really out of shape. But there was a glory day. 
right? My glory days, right? But I see myself, and Holy Spirit convicts me later. Whenever I talk about my glory days, I become just so enthusiastic and tell more and more. Is that necessary for me to share that? And, you know, Holy Spirit later on convicts me. Maybe in your conversation with your coworkers, you realize uh, we are so good at recognizing others, right? I have a friend of mine who just talks about himself. You know, we talked about uh, some kind of a topic. He talks about, oh, I, you know, when I was this and that. And he is a very successful man, no doubt. I don't want to get together with him. He gets to kind of talk about, <laughs> brag about him, about him all the time. But do I see myself in that? How about insincerity? And pastors are known for this. Well, how many people do you think we are in this room? The noble pastors? Oh, we have more than 200 people in this room. Oh, praise God. And actual count might be come out as 114 people. But it's okay. Because in the name of God. When you share about your, your kids, obviously you should be proud of your kids' success, right? But don't you feel annoyed when Facebook posts full of their whatever they did right and for in terms of that, ah, oh, I just want to just stay away from this Facebook. Maybe I'm doing it too becomes a, a, like a, a tool that it's just emotionally disturbed. Why? Because when they have a best time, best wine, and best meat, there is a picture. There is no picture of fight and struggle and depression in that house. <laughs> right? Last. I need to close in with this. We're to practice self-denial in our response to the promptings of the Spirit. You know, the beauty of this is so clear. If you look at the people, when I say meek people, meek people are broken people. They're broken of their self-centeredness. Easy to be guided by the Spirit. They're very sensitive. I want to become more like that. And I urge you to become like that. By that I mean, when we refuse to prompting of the Holy Spirit, first time, second time, it will be easier. Third time, we don't even feel it. There's a nudging of the Spirit, but we are so oblivious. And then there will be a time we are so calloused, we become so prideful of our own sinful ways. And spirit waits, grieving inside of us. Roy Hessian. This is our uh, you know, our online resource. Plus members only. You could read that. In chapter 2 of Calvary Road. And I'm going to conclude my message with this. Actually, the whole series with this. There is a one simple but all-inclusive guide of the Word of God gives to regulate our walk with Jesus and to make us know 
when sin has come in. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Everything that disturbs the peace of God in our hearts is sin. No matter how small it is, no matter how little like sin it may at first appear to be. This peace is to rule our hearts. Or a more literal translation, be the referee in your hearts. When the referee blows his whistle at a football match, the game has to stop. A foul has been committed. When we lose our peace, God's referee in our hearts has blown his whistle. Let us stop immediately. Ask God to show us what is wrong. Put by faith the sin he shows shows us under the blood of Jesus. And then peace will be restored and we shall go on our way with our cups running over. If, however, God does not give give us his peace, it will be because we are not really broken. Perhaps we have not yet to say but perhaps we have yet to say sorry to somebody else as well as to God. Or perhaps we still feel it is other person's fault. But if we have lost our peace, it is obvious whose fault it is. We do not lose peace with God over other person's sin, but only over our own. God wants to show us He's our reactions. And only when we are willing to be cleansed there will we have his peace. Oh, what a simple but searching thing it is to be ruled by the peace of God. None other than the Holy Spirit himself. This is not an urge to be introspective. This is an urge to be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, especially when there is a conviction going on. Don't brush it off. And if it's necessary, go to the bathroom and just ask God, anything wrong, Lord? I want to keep everything clean between you and me. If anything that you desire to see me to abandon, I will confess it, not only to you, but to anyone who I am offended. The true repentance brings freedom and joy. Brothers and sisters, let the crossway community known by this brokenness, our willful surrender of a stiff-necked eye, and there is a genuine joy overflowing. Why? It is the first sign of real transformation. Have you experienced God lately? Have you lacked joy? Do you lack joy these days? And once again, it's not a legalism that you are up to something that you will finally feel good. Today, this morning, I urge you to surrender. Let's pray.